Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. You know how I'm always telling you guys to bet on red? Well, if you head over to Bet Online Sportsbook, you can put together a nice little parlay of Patrick Mahomes to win MVP, Kansas City to get the number one seed in the AFC, and Kansas City to win the Super Bowl, tallying together at a nice value of plus 1150. Use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. I've for years avoided getting Snapchat just because I have felt like it, texting accomplishes the same thing, but this is the same thing you're talking about, about visual presentation compared to text-based presentation. And even though like I, I came up in high school and Instagram and Snapchat were the big things, like at a certain point it wasn't, I mean, Instagram was the, the thing I gravitated towards in terms of like learning how to use social media and then Twitter would come after that. But it was like, yeah, I, I think I have been accustomed to certain things. And because I feel like I already use social media a lot, I don't necessarily have the desire to learn new, perhaps visual media based services. And I don't think that necessarily applies to anyone. I think the, the point you brought up is really good and one I hadn't considered before that it's yeah. it's shifting again. It's just shifting to whatever the mass form of communication is for uh, the, the generation below us, shall we say. I, I don't right, yeah. I think well, I'm, I classify so as Gen Z, but I still yeah. <laughs> think of it in a different way. Well, so, so if you really want to take the historical perspective on it, like it's it's very similar to when um, the primary means of of storytelling was the oral method, right? Like you mm-hmm. relayed stories verbally, and they were handed down through generation to generation. You had the you know the tribal storyteller who said the stories, they passed along to the next one. Like that was the social media of the day. Then the printing press happened. <laughs> So if you were right in that liminal space of, okay, I'm one of the last generations of oral storytellers and all these things called books are coming out, <laughs> like that's, that's a huge technological shift in terms of how information is conveyed and everyone jumped on board because it's like, okay, we know once the word is put, in de- is put down on paper, like it's there, we know it's there, like it can't be changed versus the oral tradition. Okay, maybe it got mixed, missed, uh, mixed up, maybe your memory, you know, got messed up a little bit. And so the thing with the technology that we have now is that we're, it, it's still the exact same shifts. Like human nature is still exactly the same. It's just happening mm-hmm. faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. <laughs> like, so it's, yeah. it's not something to be like afraid of, or that it's like that, that you can't understand what's happening. It's just try to take a step back and be like, this has happened before. It will happen again. It's okay to not want to like jump on board <laughs> the next evolution, <laughs> but, but like know that if you don't like that is kind of where the world is going and you are going to be left behind a little bit. Like it's, it's and I don't think it'll be dr- a drastic change in terms of like people being unable to, you know, participate in society or anything <laughs> like that, but it is very much a like, okay, you know, what are the youths doing these days? 
<laughs> it's like, well, yeah. if it's TikTok videos, I really don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm no, sorry, I get it. <laughs> well, you also have other things that you want to do. Like, I've noticed this too with people as we've gotten older, which is like things that used to matter a lot when you're 15, 16, 17 matter a little bit less when you're tw- 19, 20, 21, just because you realize you want to do other things. Like yep. the, all of the all of these social interactions that existed through TikTok or through Snapchat or when I was younger, Instagram, like made like big trends on Instagram, like not like whatever you, you point to like real or whatever. Now, like the big like social media trends were like people start eating Tide Pods and stuff like right. the Tide Pod like, challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I used to have a shirt that was orange and white and blue. And and that that got a lot of jokes in, in the 10th grade. But like, yeah, yep. like like all of that stuff, you just, you have less of a desire for it because there are other things in your life that are more pressing perhaps. And I think once, I I think for me, I have the the basic fundamental skills and I'll continue to adapt them, but I don't necessarily feel inclined to participate. It's weird when I say like the generation below me, I just find it hard, even as a 21 year old to relate to a 15 or 16 year old right Right. now. It's just, you know, generations are like 15 years, but I think of them as like three generations in between each generation. So so, so the thing is, I think there's a valid point to be said there in that as the rate of technology has increased, I think the idea of what constitutes generation, like it needs to change because mm-hmm. but, like, for example, I remember like when I was young, I'm, I'm going to be 41 this month. So like, I'm, I am old now in, in terms of like online presence. Like I'm freaking ancient. Like I remember a time when the internet was something you used your landline for your home <laughs> phone <laughs> to connect to. <laughs> Like, and if you were using it, your phone didn't work because you were using your phone to connect to it. And like you, you tell a kid that today and they're just like, what the fuck what's a landline? country are you living in? <laughs> I, what's a landline? I, I don't know, right, man. Exactly. I was, I was like, born this, I was born this century. I don't know what a landline is. Yeah. Like, like what's, what's a rotary dial? <laughs> <laughs> that one that actually, one i don't know if it, that one i don't know if i can tell you what a rotor is it the thing where like you spin it in a circle and yeah, it lands and it on back. a number yeah, it's, it, okay yeah, exactly so so you'd um it's the circle on a phone like the really old phones and you'd like you'd put your finger in the little circle and spin it all the way down you'd have to wait for it to go back then spin the next okay number. i i've so, seen one of those in my grandma's house i i've right. never <laughs> used it but i've seen one of them they have an old phone like that that they don't use anymore it's just like a, a display phone now basically right but but, but again like that's within living memory. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're not even talking about like world war one or world war two. Like we're, we're talking about like landlines. <laughs> rotary phones. Yeah. So, no, I, I, I think you do like raise an interesting point there and in that the, what it means to be a generation is accelerating as our technology accelerates as well, because the world that kids grow up in, like to them, that's what's normal right? Like to mm-hmm. them, it's, it's normal to be able to have instant access to the internet, to be able to send large bandwidth, like images and videos and use that as a means of communication with their friends and with other people. And for a long time, like the rest of the entirety of human history, that hasn't been the case, but that's what evolution does. Like that's, that's what the progression of humanity does is that we're constantly coming up with new things. We're constantly building new things. And so I I think it's also important as like, as you kind of age out of being socially relevant, so to say, is that it's still important to keep track of that stuff, you know, to, to try and keep your pulse on like, okay, what's, you know, what matters, what doesn't, 
but you don't necessarily have to be a part of it if you don't want to like it's every everyone's time comes to an end at some point <laughs> like it's you know everyone gets their chance and then okay now the next generation comes along and now they get their chance and you know to pivot real quickly let's stop electing 70 and 80 year olds to make our laws because <laughs> this don't is understand the fucking thing this <laughs> was the next it. point that i was gonna make which is you have to i mean like it would be helpful if like institutions like journalism helped in this sense, like really help people filter information and what is important, mm -hmm. but knowing what is important to adapt and what is important to evolve to is a big deal because then all of a sudden you wake up and like you're 50 years old and you don't understand what these, what young people are talking about when they're talking about gender identity or when people are talking mm -hmm. about things that actually matter beyond a, using a landline, right. like things that are way more important than that. You can get disconnected from that too. And so it's important to figure out what is important to continue learning and adapting and evolving about because right. it, you cannot, I mean, it's society is worse off and your life will be worse off if you don't evolve and adapt to the things that actually matter and the changes that are actually important to keep mm. up with. Yeah. And it, well, and, and I think that's one of the big drivers of the political conflict that we're seeing in the United States these days is that we have two parties, neither of which are really like up to date in terms of the majority of their members, right? Like you, you have in the democratic party, like you have the outliers, you have like AOC and um, Ilan Omar Khan and, you know, some, some of the younger members of, of Congress, right. Who actually understand, okay. Like being online, isn't just some separate thing like that. That's part of the world these days. You need to understand what that means. And we need to legislate around that appropriately. But the vast majority of our political members in Congress on either side are just like, what's an internet? Like, <laughs> what's a bandwidth? And it's like, these are the people in charge of our laws. Like they, they determine what is legal and what is not like who can be punished for doing certain things. And that the fact that they they don't make more of an effort to understand these things, like it, it really is discouraging from a citizen standpoint. And that like that's your job. Like that that is literally why you're elected is to represent the American people. And if you don't understand the environment American people live in, how can you do your job? And that being said, I will say the Democrats don't do a great job, but the Republicans are fucking horseshit <laughs> like they are they are absolutely committed to not wanting to understand except in ways they can weaponize new technology that was the part <laughs> that i was gonna say is that we're talking about actively antagonistic it's not even right. doing the bare minimum it's being actively antagonistic in this sense right it's like how how can we use this new stuff to make people's life worse and keep our own lives above them and it's like it's it's so frustrating to see political conversation that still kind of entertains the idea that the Republicans are a meaningful political party. It's like, no, like th this is not, this is not a party that is engaged in the process of governance. Like this is not a political party that cares about anyone other than themselves. And if you allow that to be part of your political process, then your system will fail because mm -hmm. every single other time that has happened in history, the system has failed. That's what I was about to say. You were talking about taking a step back and looking at the big picture. If you go back and take a look at the big picture, when the first priority is maintaining and upholding power, and then the mm -hmm. second priority is whatever else you want to do after that. 
when the first step is maintaining power, that's how that's how all civilizations end up collapsing yep. is the leaders want to first uphold and maintain power. The people revolt. It might take a few decades or a few mm-hmm. centuries, but the people will ultimately revolt because it's an unsustainable system. And ultimately, mm-hmm. your system will collapse and your structure will collapse underneath the weight of itself. Yeah. And so and, and again, it's it's not like like we're the only ones saying that either. Like there, there are plenty of political scientists and historians out there being like, Hey, kind of in the collapsing days of empire right here, maybe we should change some stuff. Especially as the global economy shifts to South Asia and shifts to a continent that has 3 billion people on it, which compared to the 300 million here, that's, you know, the global economy is going to shift in the next 20 years. And that that thing you're talking about about like discourse still including a a party that's no longer relevant um the thing that really revealed that that concept to me was the whole thing with QAnon because mm. when that was happening i realized if enough people believe something we will give merit to it it doesn't matter what it, right. it is it doesn't matter if it's as, true or not <laughs> yeah it we will give it equal merit because um w- when you sit in the middle there's like a bell curve basically that's like on the mm-hmm. left side of the bell curve are your innovators and on the far the the furthest end of the bell curve are people who still use flip phones and like a good a good majority sit in the middle like that's how a bell curve kind of works is like people will lean mm-hmm. with with whatever the majority is going towards and, and if people sit in the middle and that's where a majority of people reside then the middle will move in whatever direction the two ends will push towards. And that was the thing that was like really revealing to me is like, oh, we're just making shit up that is absolutely <laughs> stupid, but we're giving yeah, equal merit to it because enough people believe in it, which is it would require a level of of kind of conviction that I don't think exists in order to say, no, this is this is ridiculous. Let us yeah, not it's... entertain this as a concept. But right. I guess like, the the thing is from um uh the the political term for that is uh the Overton window. So it's um when they talk about shifting the Overton window, it's like okay, you do something really dramatic at like the far end of a spectrum, right? Either right or left, where whichever direction you want to shift it. And so not like not everyone is gonna agree with that initial point, right? Like most people won't agree with that initial point, but enough people will be like, oh, that's something we should be talking about to where the bell curve starts shifting in that direction. And that's exactly what you're talking about in terms of of stuff like QAnon and that like, this is legit just a conspiracy theory. It's made up bullshit. Like there, there is no factual basis to it whatsoever, but it is now the defining platform of multiple legislators in the Republican party. And it's only going to get worse. <laughs> like that's 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 not something that that heals itself because the problem is when you can't deliver on the initial conspiracy, you have to make up a new conspiracy. And it has to be even more attention grabbing than the first one because otherwise either people go after you or they leave. And we're and we're seeing that like with uh um that would be house speaker mccarthy right promising oh we're going to investigate the january 6th investigations it's like that's him trying to shift the overton window to to try to make it seem just by by talking about the idea that perhaps there's corruption or that you know there's something going on that they can get enough people to believe that that like now they're shifting it back towards well maybe the republicans have a point because all these people wouldn't be talking about it if there wasn't something to talk about, right? It's like, no, this is horseshit. 
Like <laughs> there was there was a seditious conspiracy to overthrow our government. Like that's that's the facts. <laughs> that is the stone cold truth. And any attempt to say otherwise is someone trying to create a conspiracy theory so they can keep more power for themselves. And again, even though we saw it, we (laughs) saw it in real time. (laughs) We saw it happening. We saw the train crash. We saw it moving towards the end of the track and we saw it crash. You cannot tell me we did not see it happen. It's but, but, but again, so, and, and I know a lot of Republicans like to quote 1984 without really understanding what the book means, but like, this is legit. Like what George Orwell was talking about in 1984 is that the, the party's first directive was to ignore the truth of your eyes and your ears. Like you don't, you cannot believe what you see or what you hear. You can only believe what the party tells you. And like that, that is what the Republican party is turning into. And we're seeing it happen in real time. And it like, honestly, from a political science perspective and a historian perspective, it's really fucking scary. (laughs) Yeah. Like it will eventually reach a tipping point. (laughs) Well, because what you said, like, we said about it being like worse, only getting worse from here. I think that the other way I think about it in my mind is more dangerous and something mm-hmm. that like will, I mean, we're seeing it with the whole conspiracy theories that have been circling around the last two months in terms of like, we're giving way too much of a platform to anti-Semitism and way too much of a platform to anti-blackness over the past two months. And even dialects that are trying to be helpful or trying to denounce whatever it is we're talking about or are working in uh, in opposite because you're normalizing it all over again that's the easy example you can point to and say it will get more dangerous which will ultimately lead to more people being persecuted and more people being marginalized than already exists which is already moving in the opposite direction in a post-trump world than even eight years 18 years 28 years before whatever you want to point to as the time frame yeah no it's it's like it it really does feel like we're moving towards a tipping point in terms of like, will, will the idea of liberal Western democracy survive Mm -hmm. against unhinged theocratic fascism? Because that is what we're facing. Like it it is, it's ironically, it's very similar to the situation in Iran (laughs) back in the uh, the sixties and seventies when Mm -hmm. the U S decided to back the unhinged theocratic fascists (laughs) because they thought it was better than the liberal democracy that was in place. And yeah, that didn't really turn out well for anyone. (laughs) No, no, I think everyone has their regrets. Yeah. It's, but, but, but again, like that, that is what this country is, is moving towards because you, you look at the reasoning and justification for not just a lot of the legislation being brought forth, but a lot of the decisions by the Supreme court, like our highest court in the land, they're moving in a fundamentally religious direction, which goes against everything that this country has stood for. Like it's the, the whole point of the first amendment is you don't tell me what God I have to worship. And that means I get to worship whatever God I want, which might be no God at all. <laughs> well, the freedom, here's the freedom for religion is also the freedom from religion. <laughs> well, here's the religion that we're moving towards. And I've been seeing a lot of stuff about evangelicals because I've been reading up on everything that happened with Hugh Freeze and Liberty and um, what was happening with uh, what's his nuts. Herschel Walker down in Georgia mm, is yeah. basically like. <laughs> We're not even talking about religion. The religion is white supremacy. The religion is yeah. being anti, uh, anti-gay anti people and being anti-black people. And the, it, 
it's being anti other religions other than our religion of, of us at the yeah. top and everyone else below. Like what we're talking about, we're talking about like moving towards a theocracy is very often the theocracy of white supremacy, because again, evangelical Christianity was invented 50 years ago. It's not like yep. this is actually based on the fundamentals of the Bible, everything that's happened with right. abortion and, 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 and that's everything like that. Yeah. Like that, that's the easy way to see it is that, Whenever you run into a, a theocratic fascist person, they're always against something. They're never for something. Like <laughs> a, a great way to derail anyone, like on the right or you know QAnon related, is be like, "So what are you for? Like, how are you going to make society better?" And then crickets. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, this is the shift of the Republican Party in my lifetime and, and a lot of your lifetime, which is they used to stand for small government yeah. and used to stand for um, business, ultimately, which was a bad philosophy, by the way, like what they were articulating right. was not was based on anything. Yes, <laughs> it was just it slightly stood, less racist. It stood for something instead of anti insert thing here, which it, it, insert it was, usually it, insert marginalized group. Right. It was, we want to be politely racist. <laughs> we don't want to go full woods on screaming because we got our asses kicked in World War II. <laughs> We're still yeah. recovering from that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we got our asses kicked in World War II. It also wasn't politically viable. We lost like 20 years worth of elections trying to stand on that principle. So we had to rebrand in the, the post Ronald Reagan era. And it's yeah, just like, uh, now they're back all- to the same old dudes. <laughs> Yeah, no, because because it's it's viable to do that. You've got enough people in your back pocket that you can say anything and still have. I mean, and dismantling of institutions. Like I know there's a, a distrust yeah. in institutions, but institutions have been dismantled, and as a result, are failing people on a oh, sure. on a grandiose level. And right. that's well, been a the, forty like year the, mission. Yeah, that, that that's been their playbook the entire time. Is that like the the way you make people disbelieve in institutions is by going out of your way to make sure institutions don't work. So like, let, let's take a really popular example, the IRS, right? When everyone mm-hmm. thinks of the IRS, they're like, oh man, it's freaking taxes. Like they never get back to me. Like it's, it takes forever to do anything. And it's like, the IRS hasn't been properly funded in decades. Like if the IRS is properly funded, they can actually go after the people, the very rich people who are the ones avoiding the majority of taxes. Like, a, a properly funded IRS isn't concerned about you making an extra grand a year on your side hustle that's cash only. Like they want to go after the person who has five yachts and a couple shell companies in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> like that's that's where the money is at. But they can't mm-hmm. do it unless they're funded, unless they have the resources to be able to go after those people. And most of those people vote Republican and donate to Republicans. It's like, well, yeah, of course the institution doesn't work. Like you've, you've spent decades tearing it down. Well, like, now, it, now it's pivoted to if you have enough money, you will donate on both sides so that whoever wins, you will end up carrying favor. Right, exactly. Which again is totally against the idea of proper governance. It's like mm-hmm. proper governance is every citizen has an equal opportunity to succeed or fail based on their own merits. Like, and we, and, they, everyone should have the resources available to them to do so. Is that what we have in America? Not really. Like, I mean, you, you can look at like any public school funding in any district in the country and be mm-hmm. like, hey, that's not true. But, but even, that is the ideal yeah. that we should be working towards. 
And even if that is an ideal, we're not we're not doing anything to move towards that right now. It's I mean, some yeah. they're I shouldn't say that they're good. They're people who are trying to do good work and trying to fight for ideals and for a bigger cause. It's just the results are not bearing that out because you have more people than at least were previously acknowledged who are being marginalized because institutions are failing and as a result are turning towards the the trendy popular theocratic fascism. Right. It's well, and and I will say like. I, I, I don't want to come off as conspiracy theorist, but the media mm-hmm. is failing us when it comes to highlighting issues that are important and highlighting them in a way where people understand that like, this isn't a both sides deserve equal airtime. It's a one side is factually correct. The other side is full of nonsense and you should ignore them. Like the mm-hmm. case in point, the student loan forgiveness program, right? Like everyone should have their student loans forgiven. That should not even be a question. Like it, the by educating our population, we make our country better. Like that is a given. That is how country. That is how the U.S. succeeded for so long. Is that we made education a cornerstone of our public policy, and that my boomer parents could go to school for a thousand dollars a year <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. ridiculously low price it was, because we understood from a policy perspective. That made the United States a better place both to live. It made us stronger against enemies, foreign and domestic. Like it, it made us a better country. Nowadays, like you talk to someone on the right about educate the student loan forgiveness. And they're just like, well, you know, why should we hand out freebies? You know, why, why should we pay? Why should we pay other people's way? It's just like, you're not paying other people's way. You're investing in your own future. Like the, the person whose student loan who is forgiven who's then able to go on to like a master's degree or, or a PhD, they might invent the next iPhone. Like they might invent the next cruise missile. Like they might invent the next stealth bomber. You don't know. <laughs> and the, even the, if they the don't, is, they will be a more well-educated workforce. Right, exactly. <laughs> like they will contribute more to our society. They will help everyone out. <laughs> and they just don't get it and well yeah this is frustrating (laughs) this is the whole thing once people are paying us something why would we give it away for free we're already getting paid for it why would we give it away for free and this is the if you know the whole foundation i mean this is for more people listening than it is to you you know the story of how predatory student loans began as a concept in the 1980s and 90s and were expanded privately (laughs) (laughs) yep yep you yeah it's and it just expanded more and more because private corporations got involved and what happens with loans is like hey we're just gonna pass them back and forth and then you know what happened (laughs) we created a bubble and what's gonna happen is eventually the bubble is gonna burst people and mass are gonna start defaulting on their student loans and when that started happening in the 2000s they created a system where student loans could not be forgiven under any circumstances and now it's a cyclical cycle that is broken and uh is just incredibly, incredibly frustrating, especially for myself who interacts mostly with people who are college age or bound to be college age. These are, these are people directly being affected my age and the people 20 plus up to your age and beyond. Like the people I interact with very much. So are, are genuinely affected by this. And like you said, it's, it's a program that's incredibly worth investing in. Yeah. Like my, um, my wife has, uh, friends that, you know, she went to school with, they're still paying off their student loans. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about people who are in their forties, like still paying off these loans. And that, that is unsustainable for a society. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. It'll make a couple people really rich, but after a certain point, like if everyone is in debt, 
then what value does your country have? Like you've, you've, you've effectively transferred all of the wealth, all of the ability of people to generate things, to, to make something of their life into the hands of a very, very few. And historically, that does not end well. <laughs> like when, <laughs> when, when people have no hope for the future and no hope of things getting better, they tend to do drastic things. <laughs> it tends to yep. end very badly. <laughs> yep. America's getting there. It might, might good. I mean, good news for us. It might not happen in our lifetime, but damned if we aren't headed in that direction. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Um, I don't know. Have you been watching the uh, the peripheral at all, or have you read uh, William Gibson's uh, books? Um, no, I haven't. I, I saw that they're advertising it during Thursday night football yeah. once, but no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't heard anything about this. I, I would highly recommend either reading the book or watching the show because the show is a pretty good adaptation for it. And one okay. of the things that I really like. about the fact that they actually made this show is that it's getting the idea of the jackpot um, into the public consciousness. And so um, William Gibson, for for anyone listening who's not aware, he's the guy who wrote Neuromancer, right? Essentially predicted cyber like online being what the internet would look like, like before that was a thing. Like he, he, he kind of, he is the godfather of cyberpunk. Like he, there are very, very few people who I look at and be like okay you understand what's going on and when you talk about the future i am going to listen like he is one of them and so the idea in the peripheral is that the jackpot is it's not just one thing that leads to the collapse of society it's it's essentially you keep pulling the lever of the slot machine of bad outcomes and eventually you're just gonna hit and hit and hit and hit and you hit the jackpot which is like okay it's not just student loan debt collapsing. It's not just a pandemic. It's not just climate change. It's not just supply chains breaking down. It's all of those things happening all together, all at once. Boom, you get the jackpot because then it just spirals completely out of control because everything is so intertwined these days that you can you can afford to take a couple pieces out of the Jenga tower, right? But after a while, it's just one last block and then the whole thing goes tipping over. So yeah, I highly recommend uh, if, if you have not read or seen the peripheral, check it out because it, it does a really good job of kind of explaining what that is. And, and the, the scary thing is, is like, we're seeing it happen. Like we're, you know, we're seeing it happening in terms of the financial situation that more and more money is getting concentrated in the hands of fewer and fewer people. We're seeing it happening in terms of pandemics. Nations are unwilling to do what is necessary to confront a, a pandemic because they feel it's going to interfere with their profits, right? We're seeing it with climate change. Like nations are unwilling to address climate change because it's going to interfere with their profits. And again, like we, we haven't quite hit it yet, but like we're on track for the jackpot. <laughs> it's really going to suck when it happens. Uh, yeah. I, I'm and actually going to read. Note, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's talk about cooking. You got any good recipes this week? Uh, maybe yellow curry it was pretty delicious <laughs> i i think i am actually gonna i'm gonna read the book i mean i don't i do i i will do shows and documentaries every now and again but i think i will choose the book first and then i might go mm-hmm. to to bootlegging the show because i don't want to give amazon my 12 dollars. but i will yeah, bootleg no, the show <laughs> i will bootleg the show even if it hurts creators but amazon's got infinite resources i'm sure they paid those creators yeah, handsomely again it's one of those things where it's like like Jeff Bezos is a symptom of jackpot. <laughs> like he is very yeah. much one of the kleptocracy. Like the, you know, you're, you're a super rich dude who just really doesn't help people out. <laughs> like, yeah. 
he makes he makes space penises and shoots him up and yep. uh and hangs out with with roger goodell and yeah that's uh, pretty much I, mean, I, I will say jeff bezos's wife seems or ex-wife seems like an amazing person because she just keeps giving that money away to try to help people like yeah yeah like, that is a cool story if you if people we probably won't get into it deep but if you want to just google Mackenzie scott and see what that everything that's happening there just like called up florida international university just like you want 50 million dollars here you go yeah it's uh well, again because like after a certain point you have more money than you will ever be able to spend like there yeah <laughs> there is there, there is such a thing as having enough money and not enough people understand that <laughs> Well, the thing I've learned as uh, as uh, I've matured and grown into this world is that apparently the purpose of making money is to make more money. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> the whole purpose of making money is just to make so, more so, money. So in in my ideal world, um, whenever they do the next DSM update, uh, they classify wealth hoarding as a psychiatric disorder along the lines of other forms of hoarding behavior. Because I really do think that like we need to take a serious look at it what is the mindset that drives people to do this? Because it is not a healthy mindset, like empirically provable. It is not a healthy mindset and Mm -hmm. we need to be able to classify it as a disorder and treat it as such. And I think that would go a long way towards fixing quite a few of the problems facing our society. At the very least, it would change kind of the social and cultural conversation around wealth because right? I think wealth is kind of glorified in in the oh for sure way. it's like 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 oh yeah you're a millionaire but why aren't you a billionaire oh, oh you're a billionaire but why aren't you the the biggest billionaire it's like no how about like why is why is it acceptable that you make more or, th- or that you have access to more resources than the entire population of doctors on this planet <laughs> like. I feel like they're probably doing more work to help people <laughs> than you are. Yeah, but this is the thing that I find kind of frustrating. And and this probably relates to the conversation we were having about student loans earlier, which is at a certain point when you see the number go up and up and up and people are infatuated with that, this idea of eight figures, nine figures, net worth, whatever it might be, real estate, property value, while also seeing it work in the negatives for other people, it always blows my mind because at one end, there can be so much intrigue and empathy for people who have a lot and then we'll see the number go down. But when it's people who already had the number low and it gets lower and lower, there's not that same level of empathy. And it it always blows my mind because I assume that's a social and cultural construct. Like I'm sure that's not a human nature thing across the board. I'm sure if I go to other countries or read about history and other time, I'm sure it's not the same. I'm sure that's a social and cultural thing. You you, you can thank the, uh, the Calvinists for that. (laughs) They were were a big part of the founding of uh, the United States of America. (laughs) They have y'all y'all the Calvinists were, on some bullshit man like this, this this protestant work ethic and the spirit of capitalism shit is wild y'all i know i'm just citing like the most obvious sociology book from like college but like y'all the calvinists were on some bullshit back in the 1800s <laughs> but hey that's when the country was founded they had a big part in founding it and that's why it's kind of like woven into the ethos of the of our country is that like if you're not making more then you're failing and if you haven't made enough then you've let everyone down and it's like there's there's no room in that doctrine for well you know what sometimes life 
shit happens. Like the universe is a random chaotic place. And sometimes bad <laughs> shit happens to good people. <laughs> and sometimes good shit happens to bad people. <laughs> and your yeah. measure of wealth is not indicative of your worth as a human being. <laughs> or indicative of your intelligence or skill set at a certain right. point. Like you are very good at this very one thing that our society has decided is worth X, Y, or Z amount. And therefore you are now gifted with whatever resources you may have or whatever wealth you may have. Like right. all of it. You, you, you say to the person who made millions punting for football, like, how stupid yeah. is that? Like, yeah. The, the, person, the person who made millions of dollars punting a football. And then when your career was cut short by two years, because you were an ally in a sport that doesn't support anything other than the, the game. And at a time when they were like scrubbing the, the, jer- the, the Jersey name or in the locker off of the player in Kansas city who killed himself, like, and murdered his girlfriend, like in a crazy sport like that, you give up your career years early because you want to stand for something bigger. And it's like, Huh? Why would you give up the good life of making millions of dollars to right. punt a football? It's like my life <laughs> is worth a children's more. game. <laughs> my life is worth more than punting football. Did you? I, I mean, I know you're not super into the football space, but did you read the the story that was on ESPN the other day about Andrew Luck? And no, I didn't. Oh, it's super. It's it's the same idea, which is basically Andrew Luck was like. Uh, because he was supposed to be the number one pick in the draft two years in a row and because he was the son of uh, of Oliver Luck and because like he felt he owed it to himself. And even though people thought he was like, he could have been an architect, he could have been a scientist, he could have been an right. engineer. He's like, I felt forced into seeing this one dream out and I saw no value in myself other than being a quarterback. And that's that same idea is like you, this person who is an incredibly fun, happy, jovial person who like loves reading books about concrete was being forced yep. into being this one thing and having it consume his entire identity. Right. And suffering significant amounts of brain damage because the Colts yeah. did not draft offensive line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now he seems a whole lot happier and he's like my favorite athlete. He was my favorite athlete before cuz like this dude who had better stats than Dan Marino just walked mm. away in the most shocking right. retirement any of us have ever seen and then disappears from the face of the earth for 2 years. Like yeah, already no, I, my I favorite totally dude in the him world. For that. Like he's he's fantastic for that cuz cuz again it like it it breaks that stereotype of like oh you have to, you know, essentially you die playing the game, right? Like you, you know, you play it until they, they force you out. It's like, no, like it's, it's, it's a game. It is literally a game. <laughs> like it is every, meaningless. Every time I see people say that, that happened the other day with Jimmy Garoppolo where they were like, he's going to tough it out and play through a broken uh, foot. I'm like, your values are wrong. Your values right? are wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, that's not okay. <laughs> Or, or the whole thing with Tua a few weeks ago. I'm like, all of your values are incorrect. I know I'm right. not trying to be judgmental, but all of your values are incorrect. And this is incredibly <laughs> barbaric and stupid. Right. Might as well just get the gladiators on the sand. And just have them go at each other with pitchforks. <laughs> <laughs> Says you who the last time you were here, were telling us about Adrian Peterson, just feeding himself 4,000 calories before going out to it's a football game. Which, blood sport. It's... <laughs> Dude, it's wild. And and this is the same idea about self-worth, man. Like we, the value system that's been created pushes people in a direction that without a whole lot of introspection, without a whole lot of like love of self and confidence, it's really difficult to navigate because it's like you said, it's like a, a giant. I mean, it, it, like the world has a bunch of mistakes all over the place and we're all just kind of like 
finger gunning our way through it, trying to yep. make sense of this incredibly chaotic. I call it like a ship with a bunch. Of, there's just it's a ship with holes everywhere. We're just trying to bail water as quick as we can. <laughs> no one is in control. <laughs> that is one of the hardest things to accept. <laughs> like it's just universe is a weird place. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's interesting. I'll send you that Andrew Luck story too. I, I think you might find it yeah, interesting because. Yeah, it, it's kind of some of the same stuff that you talk about. Oh, you used to talk about when you were on Twitter, but stuff that I would yeah. see you talk about <laughs> when you were on Twitter and some of the stuff we talked about here. Uh, we kind of went long here, so I appreciate your time, man. I hope you uh, hope you have a good evening and uh, hope we'll talk again sometime soon. Not sure when that'll be, but hopefully you enjoy cooking and writing and all the time that you spend with your family because uh, you're usually on the right side of history. And uh, again, I don't know if I would have had the courage to just throw away 150,000 followers on Twitter, man. I don't know if I would have had the courage to do that. It's about the principle of the thing. It's there. Yeah, but that's. I, I would like to say I am nothing if not consistent in my actions. Well, I was going to say, you, you've already thrown away millions of dollars, years of an NFL career yep. at the end and... I don't, I don't think 150,000 followers on Twitter necessarily compares to that. So you, you have stood tall on the principles for many years. Well, thanks. Yeah. And thanks for having me. It's, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Follow him on Instagram now, I guess, if you want to, if you want to see him make salsa, that's where you can get. At Chris Cluey for salsa updates and soccer. Yeah, salsa updates, his soccer updates, and no longer talking about theocratic fascists on the internet. Yep. <laughs> At least I don't think. Well, it might come in time. <laughs> <laughs>